Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. And here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. You were pausing for dramatic effect. I was pausing so I didn't sneeze. Welcome to the annual episode of Hey Kids Comics, where I have Lurgy. Is it annual? It does seem to be annual. It's more of a monthly thing. It's not. You're the one who's always got a snurchy cold. I only have this kind of thing every year. I'm just used to it, though. You make a big deal out of it when it hits you. I've told you before, this is a particularly virulent strain of man flu. Right. That only Affects the stoutest you. of men, the hardiest of fellas, right. the most manly of manly men, right. can actually tolerate it. And you have it. And I have it. And I am being of manly manliness and tolerating it. Okay. Because I am a manly man. I liked how you thought that was funny when I said I am a manly man. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to the Lazy Bastards episode of Hey Kids Comics, because uh, we have been very, very busy doing stuff on the house. We have not had time to read comics so that we can talk about comics, which is the whole raison d'etre. Somebody will probably pick me up on my pronunciation there. Uh, for the show. Now... I have mentioned before, I am not the biggest fan in the world of soul email episodes. This is not a diss against people that do them. We've done them, quite frankly. I think they're a bit lazy, to be honest with you. So, it was with great hesitance that I, I decided to do this. But ultimately, time just got away from us. And we, uh, we couldn't do anything else about it, really. We didn't have time to do anything else. So it's going to be an email episode. Sorry about that. I do apologise, but we'll uh, we'll try and make it at least moderately entertaining. Will we not? We will. We will. Okay. Anyway, the first email's an epic email. Is it? Where it, it specifically discusses the show and the podcast and its yeah its uh, its place in the podcasting sphere and right. and our contribution to to that same thing. It's Robert Willing basically saying, I'm starting a podcast called Elsewhere in the Multiverse. Play my promo. <laughs> so we will we will uh, be delighted to play your promo, Robert. And um, spread the word on our show. Yeah, he had, um, he had a, uh, a backdoor pilot, that's the word I'm struggling to find, right. in uh, just one of the guys, which is hosted by the lovely Sean Engel. We like Sean. Mm-hmm. Well, you do. I do. A big fat omnibus. Oh, yeah. Because of Sean. Mm-hmm. I mean, you probably won't be thanking him if it fell on you. No, but at least it's not broken my shelf yet. That's true. A bit more than your shelf if it fell on you. <laughs> Hello, my name is Robert Willing, and I love comics. But my all-time favorite comics are the alternate universe comics. Now, that's not an obscure comic company that's known only to local comic stores. What I'm talking about are comics that gives us a different spin on characters we know and love. From your Elseworlds at DC to your what-ifs at Marvel. Why am I doing it? Well, there are two reasons. First of all, I love the unlimited possibilities that the multiverse has brought us, and I wanted to share that love with everyone. I will be talking about all sorts of alternate continuities. If it wasn't canon, I'll talk about it. Elseworlds, what-ifs, intercompany continuities is because, let's face it, very few of those count. I'll also be talking about non-canon minis, like... Superman Birthright, Shazam A New Beginning, Bob Layton's Hercules, and even Heroes Reborn because, let's face it, we're all glad that never stuck. And on a few occasions, I'll even be discussing the Doctor Who Unbound audios. I'll also try and get interviews and Q&As with as many comic creators as I possibly can. Now keep in mind, this does not count full running company lines or eras, so no children comics or the ultimate comics. The all-stars, maybe. 
Oh, and the second reason, well... Hey, how's it going? Hey, what are you doing in my room? My room? This is mine at... Wait, Sean Ingle? What are you doing here? Sean, I'm... I'm Robert Willing, and... Wait, you look like Sean Ingle. Ugh, okay, I get it. You're from a world where I'm Sean Ingle and you're me. Man, you... you get visits too? Yeah. You see, folks, my house is set in a unique location of the multiverse where every world intersects, and I get occasional and very random visits from other me's. Tell me about it. Once I met a version of me where I was Guy Gardner. Pre or New 52? Neither. It was the collateral damage one. Yeah, I met him. What an absolute jerk. Oh, holy cow. That, uh, that guy got was such an ass. So join me this summer as I transverse the multiverse and share different iterations of churches you love, as well as deal with other things. And then, you know, Jacob decided to take away the whole Boldarian thing and make a Boldarian storyline. It was just awful. What the hell was he thinking? I can't even... See you soon, everyone. Elsewhere in the multiverse, look at all your favorite alternate iterations coming soon to a podcast near you. Should we move on to an email proper? Okay. An email proper is from Kurt Gruenwald. Kurt Gruenwald. Kurt Green. Uh, dastardly demons a core plot. Well, they're all dastardly. They are. Quite frankly. And they're all plots, aren't they? They're all schemes. Everyone who works for Demanzo is a conniver in some yeah. way. Are we? No, because we, we kind of press gang into service. So not everyone. How, how, how does Demanzo uh, benefit from having comic book podcasts? Well, as you may know already, <laughs> in Italy, where right. Demanzo is based, right. there is comic books a heavy demand after. for comic books. Oh no, comic books, nobody gives crap about uh, comic uh, after books. After the illegalisation. Yes, but comic book podcasts right, right. are very much high ticket items. You know like in Willy Wonka, right? where they get the golden ticket in Wonka bars? Yeah. Well, podcasts are like that, only they give them away free, and right. if you're lucky, you'll get a chocolate bar. Okay. And that's how they work. Right. I don't know how he makes money off that. Yeah. But you've said him, he lives like Hugh Hefner. <laughs> He's always got three bleached blonde beach bunnies on each arm. Three arms? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting to see if uh, if you caught that. Yeah. I think there was Unless some kind three of... three per arm. There could be, but I, I, think the, I think the three arms thing... I'm sure there was some kind of radiation experiment went wrong. <laughs> Maybe he's got Japanese ancestry. Well, is that why he was he was his big uh, dressing gown yeah. to hide his other arm? Yeah, <laughs> he's like the Botax, Mothran, Botaxians, whatever from the War of the Worlds TV series. Okay. Where he used to come out the belly. Yeah. The three-fingered arm came out the belly and grabbed people and ripped their eyes out. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. Tado nakate to life immortal. Yeah, what's that? No. Yeah. Well, you weren't alive, so I'll forgive you. <laughs> anyway, Kirk was listening to the latest Hey Kids comics, which was episode 201. Which seems like such a long time ago at this point. Stuck in the 80s, or something similar. I don't think we called it Stuck in the 80s. But we could have done that, I don't think it'd know anymore. Not it was Hey Kids 1980, wasn't it? Was it? Did we just call it Hey Kids well, 1980? That was the name of the season, like, I think. Like Battlestar Galactica 1980. Well, that was the joke. Thank you for telling everyone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do feel the need to explain the gag. Yeah, it's not funny. So obviously, well, it obviously wasn't funny in the first place, was it? Apparently, we went on and on about launching drones to follow people around and record their comments about their favourite 80s books. We didn't go on and on. We just went on. We don't go on and on. Do we ever go on and on? We just, I don't think we go on and on. We just go. We do. You wind yeah. us up and we go. Like those little robots. Yeah, <laughs> little tie robots that you can buy from, uh, from that look like Robbie the Robot with the square heads. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're quite cool. Can I have one for Christmas? Okay. I think that would be quite hard. We don't go on and on, is what we're saying. Although this bit's gone on and on. It? it has. All right. Okay. We've inadvertently, We've inadvertently gone on and on <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. by going on and on about how we don't go on and on. Mm. Good. I'm uh, free-form stream of consciousness <laughs> stuff coming on tonight. This this would be a really bad podcast to listen to because of our ramblings. Yeah, well, I'm ill and you're you, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, you've been exposed to too much Grant Morrison at an early age. 
dirt, yeah. Which yeah. has caused your brain to melt. It has. And then you've reconstructed it by sticking your head in a freezer so it's all gelled <laughs> back together. Unfortunately, when it's froze back together, the bits have gone, you know, a little cack, all that extra water in your brain. Right, okay. Has uh, caused you to go a little bit wacky. And I'm ill. Right, okay. So, that explains a great many things. Anyway, Kurt continues. It brought to mind these pages from Fantastic Four 18, which you yourself have reviewed. We never covered Fantastic Four 18 on this show. Did you not on another show? I, I don't, you don't cross the streams, dude. <laughs> Today is about this show, and not the Fantastic Cast, a show I do with Stephen Lacey, all about the Fantastic Four from the very beginning. Does Stephen make you practice that in front of a mirror? Yes. He's given me a little card with it written on, <laughs> so I don't get it wrong. He gets very uptight if I get a word wrong. It's all spelt properly and everything. It's meticulously written. I was quite impressed with it, to be honest with you. And then I spotted that he got a spelling mistake in it. It was funny. I laughed. Uh, I'm very surprised, Kirk continues, you didn't recognise where the images are coming from in your subconscious. And he sent us a couple of pages. From that other issue of the Fantastic Four were Mr. Blobby follows people around <laughs> spying on them. Quite frankly, our drones were a little bit more subtle than that, weren't they? <laughs> Mr. Blo- blobby, <laughs> Mr. Blobby, 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 Blobby. Everyone who lives in England is now having flashbacks. <laughs> Everyone who doesn't live in England are like, what the hell's Mr. Blobby? <laughs> Everyone who doesn't live in England, we were asking that very same question when he got to number one with his Christmas song, Blobby Christmas. <laughs> Sadly, I am not making this up. Mr. Blobby did indeed get to number one with his song Blobby wasn't there a Blobby world as well like a theme park I've no idea but there was about five minutes in 1996 where Mr. Blobby was everywhere he was like the Spice Girls only there wasn't one of him you'd shag (laughs) (laughs) I mean you may want to do Mr. Blobby you'd have to roll him around a bit to find the anyway continues, I am also surprised to see how closely Doctor Doom is working with Demonzo Corporation to launch these drones to watch and spy on your listeners. I think you need to bring Professor Allen in on this one. Ever watchful, Kirk G. Well, actually, Kirk, what you will find is that Professor Allen signed off on it. We had to get permission to launch the drones in the United States, and we had to do it in such a way that it, it snuck past the government. So we sent it via an official decree from Latveria, Mm-hmm. And, of course, the ambassador to Latveria in the United States is Professor Allen. Mm-hmm. So it was his fault that we actually managed to get them launched. So, ha you have a traitor in your midst. <laughs> Although he's got diplomatic immunity, hasn't he, by being uh, a member of the Latverian government. Do we also not have Latverian Diplomatic immunity? Oh, no, Doom had squashers. Oh, OK. Doom thinks you're scum. <laughs> Doom does not like your impression of Doom. <laughs> Actually, no, I could probably be said to a gulag for doing an impression of Doom, couldn't I? Santa Doom, where did you get these discriminating photos of me? (laughs) That's a plug for a Christmas episode of the other show I just mentioned. Anyway, thank you, Kirk and Robert, for your emails that have provided endless source of amusement (laughs) as we begin the show. Patrick Corrin has emailed in about episode 200 and uh, DC vs. Marvels. Ooh, an epic email, one would imagine. Hello fellas, Patrick here from Metro Detroit, home of the Detroit American Football Lions that played in your backyard, Wimbledon. I'm sure you saw the game in person because, as film and television has taught me, no matter where you live in the UK, Big Ben, the Thames, the Egg Glass Building and Wimbledon are in full view at all times. That is actually a true fact. It is. I am looking out my window now. I am, uh, no I'm not. But if I were looking out of my window oh, right look, now... Oh the Queen's going on a... Sh- <laughs> the cat just fell off the head of the setting. That's funny. I thought cats weren't supposed to fall. <laughs> it was funny. Do you what? think it he was so shocked that the Queen just <laughs> went past that he went, Frag me, the Queen! Uh, and uh, he thought, I'm not having none of that corgi action. And he's done a runner. Probably, yeah. You think that's what it was? It was just funny to watch him fall in slow motion. The mere president. President. The mere president. The president's walking the in. The president's here at all, well, Bugger me with a chainsaw. The mere presence of Her Royal Highness, the Queen of whatever. England. Yeah. Uh, uh, who's been on the throne for a good, good many years now. I, th- I think it's, you know, older than the mountains. I wish she'd get off the throne, because I'm in desperate need of a mighty dump, quite frankly. <laughs> 
Yeah, she's older than Methuselah. And yeah, 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 the yeah. fact that she just walked past the cats could not cope uh, with excitement on that magnitude. Mm. So, thanks, Queenie. Hey, can Obama touch the Queen like that? I'd vote. <laughs> That's a bit disrespectful, isn't it? Oi, Queenie! <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> you know, there's people watching. Anyway, uh, Detroit was also the birthplace of Tom Selleck, apparently. I did not know that. And the $5 work day. I did not know that either. Me neither. But I applaud the birthplace of Thomas Sullivan Magnum IV. <laughs> For your information, I love how you butcher my last name. Kukurin. We don't butcher Kukurin, do we? Have we butchered it in the past? I don't know. Have we said Kukurin? Kukarin? Kukarian? Kukarian, my wayward son? Is that how we've done it? Patrick C. Maybe. Well, he always signs it that. So yeah. maybe he just doesn't want to say his surname because <laughs> we do such a bad job of it. Thank you for entertaining me for endless hours running every morning. Do you run for endless hours every morning? <laughs> I mean, morning comes to an end, surely, at <laughs> some point. Does it not tie you out as well? You're running for endless hours in oh morning. Oh, God, is this run is endless. Is that not like one of them um, silly Spike Milligan poems? And what's his name one? Way down deep in the middle of... No, what was the one? Two dead men two got men, up to fight. Two dead men got up to fight, yeah, that one. I like that poem. Can't remember it, but I like it. Okay. Oh, it's going to bug me now because I can't remember how it starts. We did this a few weeks ago when you looked it up. Yeah, something like in... One fine day in the middle middle of the the night, two dead dead men got up to fight. That's the one. So he he goes running all day, but only in the morning. Unless it's one of those, like, escalators on the stairs, you know, the flat ones. Yeah. On the floor. okay. So he's not actually running that. He's he's stand on them and he carry you across, but maybe he's running the other way. Ah, good idea. Yeah. Uh, almost as much as your pronunciation of David Gutierrez. We don't butcher David Gutierrez. You just jumped about the email. Oh, no, no, it's the carries on. We butcher his last name and David Gutierrez. But you just read that paragraph. Which paragraph? The one about congrats on episode 200. Oh, so I did. Anyway. <laughs> I'm in, dude. I also want to thank you for inspiring me post... What? Post run. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> I am ill. Do you want to tell this one? I also want to thank you for inspiring me post-run on day to Blake one day to... I'm struggling with this one. I also want to thank you for inspiring me post-run one day to blatantly rip you off and record a podcast with my father. Make Dads Read Comics is Patrick's podcast and is available on iTunes and Stitcher. I don't mind if people rip us off. Okay. I'm actually quite flattered by the idea that... Uh, We've started this whole little pocket industry. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Yeah, and as long as the check comes with it, I'm really not bothered. <laughs> they can imitate as much as they like. Mm-hmm. We are, after all, merely a mockery ourselves, an imitation of life. We're not actually real. None of this is real. Okay. It's like the Matrix. Right. Isn't it? You're Keanu. Am I? Yeah, I spout pretentious gobbledygook like um, Fishburne. Right. And you just go, whoa, guns. Lots of guns. Excellent. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I'd be much more happy if uh, Bill Less, what's his name, Preston had showed up. Because Keanu was Ted Theodore Logan, wasn't he? Was he? I don't know, they're interchangeable, aren't they? <laughs> more or less. Would it matter if you got the names wrong? Probably not. Probably not. Anyway, Patrick continues. My 65-year-old father, unlike you, Andrew, a year ago, had no interest in comics and described them as literature of the illiterate. 60-plus episodes later, he still thinks it's... No, I'm, I'm editing them. 60 plus episodes later, it's been fun to teach my father about comics and share my love of the medium together. It has allowed me to sit down and bond with my father for around an hour each week, and I thank you for that. Well, there's no need to thank us, Patrick. We're all part of the same team. And also, you did it. We just kind of were there, weren't we? Mm-hmm. Metaphorically, on your shoulder. Saying stuff like bollocks, we, <laughs> biscuits. Jumpers. Steal the beer. Yeah. Punch your face in. Yeah. Kick the old granite. Take it. Uh, all general buffoonery aside, I like general buffoonery. <laughs> it's, it's better than just regular buffoonery. Yeah, it's better than being a major buffoonery. Or, or specific buffoonery. Yeah, yeah. I like random buffoonery. <laughs> I enjoyed hearing you both reflect on how you altered each other's viewpoints on comics, especially you, Andrew, admitting that Michael had opened your eyes to about Morrison. The best part of episode 200 was Andrew describing how great Michael's meeting of Morrison was in that he was not let down by his hero and no matter what you may think of the man's work he is okay because he was good to my boy. Touching. I can't really take the mick out of that. Come on, that's actually quite sweet. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. Question that may have been addressed before but was the subject of comics. I'll say that in English. 
Question that may have been addressed before, but was the subject of comics something you both shared an interest in and decided to record the show around it, or was just sitting down and podcasting as father and son? Ooh, somebody's asked us a question. Since before your son burned hot, we have awaited a question. <laughs> um, no, basically, well, it was kind of twofold, wasn't it? Chris yeah. and Scott did that episode, Get Off Your Ass and Make a Podcast. Yeah. And I said to you, you want to do a podcast? And you were like, yeah, okay. And that's pretty much it, but the format of we've, the show... We've always spoken about comics, yeah. just this way we're just recording it. Yeah, the, the format of the show basically came down to when Michael was still at school, which, God, that seems such a long time ago. Yeah. When Michael was still at school, we would sit down in the morning and drink a cup of tea, for we are very civilised British men, and scones. We had scones. Scones. Scones and pastries, darling. <laughs> or a full English. Every morning, because that's the way it goes. God, we get fat. Yeah, we don't just get up every morning, stuff a piece of toast in our mouth and run out the door. <laughs> every morning we would sit down and be very civilised, be very downton yes, yes. in our approach to breakfast. And we downton, there's drama everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Right, who's sleeping with the maids? <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> um, all of them at once. <laughs> and we, we would talk about comics, wouldn't we? Yeah. We'd get up in the morning and we'd say, did you read this last night? Did you read, have you read this? And, blah, 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 blah. and then that's where the show came from. Basically just recording our Christmas... Com- Christmas. <laughs> we recorded our Christmas conversation. It would be a very long-running show, wouldn't it? <laughs> We recorded our morning conversations, just made them into a show, basically. Hmm. I mean, they're a bit more focused. Thought. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. I knew there was a reason I kept you around. <laughs> yeah, they're a bit more focused than they are in the morning when we're not being interrupted by, you know, knobs on the news doing stuff I don't agree with and me yelling at the television. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was more a case of, um, it was one of those, well, what can we do that makes it different? And being father and son, the cross-generational comic book thing seemed like the way to go, didn't it? Yeah. And you must still enjoy doing it, because yeah. you're the one who gets all bent out of shape for a second. We take a week off. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the, 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 not the fans, the listeners. And we don't have, I hate that. Tim Pot, local podcast internet radio <laughs> show, does not have fans, dude. They're all friends. Are they? Yes, fish are friends. Not food. Not food. It's the same with our listeners. They're not food. They're friends. It's a bit difficult to eat them. Oh, I don't know. When that zombie apocalypse goes down, dude, there are no friends here. Only food. Uh, Patrick continues, I really enjoyed the DC versus Marvel show. The frustration you two expressed in allowing fans to pick matchup for fights brought me back to feeling these same frustrations as a youth. You are both correct. Batman fighting Venom would be so much more interesting than anything shown on the page. My fantasy flight as a boy was a throwdown between the Magneto and the Flash, for no other reason than in my mind's eye that would have looked cool. I agree that the Captain America and Batman 72-hour fight is one of the most interesting aspects of the series, and for a comic build as just a series of fights, there was too much damn story. I'm sure it's been suggested, but had either of you checked out JLA Avengers, the four-issue mini which was released in 2004? It is not, in 90s comics speak, HOT! Yet some neat meetups, including an interesting Captain America and Batman fight, and later bonding, losing soldier sidekicks. Perez was on art. I think it was all right. Well, it's funny you should mention JLA Avengers, Patrick, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Hmm. We will stroke our chin in a scholarly manner and look directly into the camera as we say, "Well, <laughs> funny stuff that you should mention, JLA Avengers." Hmm. Do you think I've teased that enough? Maybe a little bit. Do you think, yeah. I, do you think it was a bit less, 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 less tease? Less more. tease, more of a yeah. We're going to do that in the new year, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the 1980s episodes have started well with minimal general buffoonery. Oh, I don't know. That won't go down well, will it? <laughs> we have a general buffoonery omitter. We, yeah, we do. And we have to maintain a certain level of demands or it's going to cut funding. Maybe our buffoonery was just very specific for that series. Specific buffoonery? Yeah. Rather than general buffoonery. Mm. Yeah, okay. It was related to the 80s, so we got to say things like gag me with a spoon. <laughs> you love that, don't you? I don't know why you love that, but okay. Also, though Spider-Man and Batman, Patrick continues, maybe the first and second most referenced name on the podcast, the Health and Safety Agency is coming on strong. That is one of my favourite tangents and postulations you two take when discussing a storyline. Well, Patrick, I can honestly say that the Health and Safety at Work Act is one of the banes of my life. Uh, Patrick continues, I found the 
Kitty Pride discussion very interesting in the 85 show. I'm not a huge X-Men fan, but really enjoy the character Kitty Pride. It's often said there are no bad characters, just bad writers, but I theorise Kitty Pride is the inversion art antithesis to that premise. I find her typically written as an interesting and complex character, no matter the era. May it be Clermont's 80s, or Whedon and Bendis' 21st century, or even just popping up in a Dan Slott Spider-Man storyline. I was racking my feeble mind during your show and could not think of another character that fits that mould for me in comics. This may not have been your intent, but it grew from the chat for me. Do you agree with either premise that there are no bad characters and bad writers, and is it possible for there to be the inverse to that theory? No bad writing, just a good character, or something along those lines. What do you think? I don't know. (laughs) Do you want me to repeat the question for the hard of thinking? (laughs) Patrick is asking, do you think there is such a thing as no such thing as a bad character, only bad execution? Of a character. And I don't mean, you know, taking it out back and shooting it in the head. No, I think sometimes there are some bad characters. You think? Yeah. Oh, there's no such thing as a bad... Is, is that what? Yeah. Yeah, there's just bad writers, there's not bad characters. Well, you can have bad writing, yeah, sure, but you can also have bad characters as well. Sometimes there's just nothing to Speedball. a character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speedball's a dick car creation, dude. Well, okay. <laughs> don't make it good. Yeah. Um, I don't know to be... I see... Superman Returns is a flawed premise, isn't it? Yeah. You can't build a decent storyline around the premise of Superman knocked up Lois and then buggered off for five years, leaving her with a kid, can you? Yeah. That's a faulty premise to build a Superman story on. Hmm. So, yes, you can tell bad stories with good characters, and yes, you can tell stories that are not suitable to a particular character. Hmm. But for the most part, I honestly think a good writer can do good things with any character. Even then, there's good things with a character that might be bad. Yes, but a good writer can make a character interesting. Not that Mark Miller did with Speedball, (laughs) but I don't consider Mark Miller to be a particularly good writer. I don't consider Speedball to be a good character. Well, there you go. It was a marriage made in heaven, (laughs) wasn't it? Bad meets bad, in many particular ways. I'm trying to think of an example where... You know, a good character was in a... I mean, there's plenty of bad stories with good characters, but... Deadpool springs to mind. Yeah, but he's just oversaturated, Under, isn't he? When Joe Kelly was writing him, yeah. McGuinness. That was some damn good stuff. But now he's just a poorly... A poor character, poorly written. Right. By everyone who writes him. He's just um, um, a pastiche of his former self at this point. The caricature... Yeah. Which he was to start off with, but he was a funny character. He was doing good things with him. Right. Yeah. Right. Now he's just everywhere for the sake of being everywhere. He's Wolverine or Venom in the nineties. Oh, the Punisher. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Keep up the good work, causing me to distract my mind from the November cold during a 10k run to focus on a fictional teenage mutant with metal boyfriend, dragon pets, and Canadian killing machine father figure girl and her character traits. Goodbye. Patrick Kikorin. Well, thank you, Patrick, and we hope that your podcast is going all right. Make Dad read comics. Go and check it out. You don't have to make me read comics. I mean, there are occasions where you have made me read something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And on occasion, it was good. Mm -hmm. So, something that we're doing next week. Mark Laxer emailed in saying, Hey, kids, the 1980s. Hello, Leylands. I enjoyed warping back to the 80s like a TARDIS. Warp, warp, warp. The 80s were special to me because that's when I started collecting. I would hang around the local bookstore and sift through the comic rack for hours until the old lady behind the counter would grab me by the ear and say, You're going to have your auntie and uncle in Bel-Air! <laughs> that's, that's not what she said. What she said was, uh, I'm throw me out. I'd say a few words to her that shouldn't have come out of my 13-year-old mouth and she'd slam the gate. Kiss your mother with that mouth. Then I'd be back the next day for another encounter with my nemesis. Oh, okay, it didn't quite happen like that. But there was plenty of times I was given a very stern warning as we were about to close. Once I started collecting, there was no stopping me. Every newsstand, every bookstore I passed, I had to run in to see if they had any comics. And then I discovered the comic shop. It was called Galaxy Comics and was across the street from where my dad worked. I'd spend hours in there going through the back issues and amassed a huge collection of silver and bronze age comics. Through flea markets and tag sales, I bought every comic that I could afford. DC Comics was my bag, and in a few years I'd had hundreds of Superman and Batman issues. 
You know, Galaxy Comics, they know that comic shop's got me thinking. Why? What is it with comic shops and, and universal-related names? Like Odyssey. A place in space. Galaxy. Worlds apart. Dark they were in golden-eyed. All that. Yeah, mm. well, it's spacey and imaginative and, and stuff like that, isn't it? Or comics and science fiction were put together. That's and true. were never separated. That's, that's also true. Ogre. Ogre books. That was one in Liverpool, that. Was it? Yeah. That's not Spacer, so I don't know why I mentioned it. Maybe you should just call it the Kevin comic shop. Kevin. Kevin Spacer. Okay. <laughs> oh, you see what I did there. Oh, quality. Yes, Mark continues. Between moonwalking to Michael Jackson and doing the jitterbug to wake me up before you go-go, you admit that publicly, I read my comics voraciously. Ah, the 80s, what a special time. About your coverage of this first batch of 80s comics, they were real swell. Hot Pants Supergirl and a poisoned ivy Batman was just the thing to introduce us to the comics of the era. I'll be listening as long as you keep churning it out, as long as you don't bring out any stern old ladies. My ears still hurt. The Superman issue you covered in the following show seems vaguely familiar. I'm sure in my search for back issues I've come across it, maybe even actually owning it. I have to slightly disagree with Michael. Well, that's the best way to disagree with you, isn't it? (laughs) Only slightly. While Superboy might be considered the main character, the book takes place in Superman's world, even highlighting some of his supporting characters. It just seems to be grounded in Superman's own universe with Superboy as a special guest. I may be off with this, but the introduction of a new villain and Jimmy getting an important scene, it seemed to be a good issue of Superman. The second Batman story sounded cool, despite all the implausible gimmicks, like Dick tackling Bruce in the shower. Was Frederick Wortham still alive? And the fake Wayne Manor exploding. Okay, it didn't all make sense at all, but it did make for a great story and one I'll be trying to track down. The Spider-Man story seemed to be a typical but well-written story from the 80s, as was the X-Men, but I was never a fan. I enjoyed some of the X-movies, but that was about it. Didn't sound like a bad story, though. Kitty Pride was a popular character. Your friend, Mark Lax. Well, thank you very much for emailing in, Mark. Your comic book story is quite similar to mine, which we recanted in uh, the episode 150, was it? I don't know. Where I did my I went to a comic <laughs> store story when I was a kid. When I were a lad. E, when I were a lad. With whippets <laughs> and black pudding and flat cap. Aye, bye, heck. <laughs> it were all uphill to work, both sides. <laughs> I used to get up before I went to bed. Four Yorkshiremen. Hey, bye, heck. Peter, Peter K, professional northerner. Hi. Anyway, uh, Chris Franklin's emailed in. Hello, Christopher. Super breakdowns, rabid raccoons, fat Spider-Man, and bad unitards. I like that. I like that in a man, a bad unitard. Hello, Leylands. Hello, Christopher. DC's rules on time travel have always vexed me. Pre-crisis, as seen here, the idea that Superman and Superboy couldn't occupy the same space created some interesting scenarios, but you are right. It seems odd to get that realistic when dealing with beings that can break the time barrier using we can open a jam jar. For a really great twist on the idea, I suggest checking out the Brave and the Bold issue 192 from November 1982, where Batman teams up with Superboy? Yo, I'll have to go and check if I've got that one. That sounds quite intriguing. Post-crisis, DC seemed eager to address the issues you raise about time travel and the responsibility it entails by making it nigh impossible for their characters to achieve it. The craziest house rule I ever heard enforced at a company was DC's mandate that if a character did time travel, they could never use that same method to do so again. DC tried its damnedest to make that stick, but by the early 90s they finally just gave up. See, time travel's a great storytelling device, isn't it? But, you know... If when Superman can just go, oh, I'm a bit bored today, I think I'll go back to 1934 and kill Hitler before he does anything <laughs> wrong. Bit much, that, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, if you're going to go back and snap anybody's neck, it would be Hitler. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, you created a utopian society where there was no progress and we never walked on the moon. It's possible. It is. No World War Two. no space race, no V2 rocket, no walking on the moon. And who's to stop Superman from going back in time, getting Hitler out of the picture and being a fascist ruler himself? Mm. I'm a huge fan of Don Newton, continues Chris, and will sing his praises to anyone who will listen, and even those that won't, <laughs> we did on the show, didn't we? Michael picked up on his excellent body language, and it was certainly one of his strong points. His acting was top-notch, and his use of blacks and shadows made him perfect for Batman. 
The return of Hugo Strange was a long-running plot thread in the Conway run on the back titles, as his take was very much a sequel to what Engelhart, Rogers and Austin had done, directly referencing those stories and bringing back old, forgotten characters and concepts as those creators had done. Even at eight, I kind of wondered how Strange managed to replicate the sprawling Wayne Manor without anyone noticing, but how he got it so exact as to fool the world's greatest detective... But comics, you know. It was a very fun story and it did have me guessing at what the crap was going on. Dick was actually living at Way Manor at this time. That's part of Conway's back-to-basic approach to the character and was referenced as attending Gotham University now after dropping out of Hudson in the early 80s. The Sternometer Spider-Man run was near perfection. I really don't have much to say beyond that, but reading both this and the Lee Ditko running Marvel Tales at the same time made me a very lucky early Spider-Man reader. I was doing the same as that, Chris. Marvel Tales was brilliant. The 1985 issues do demonstrate that the Superman titles were spinning their wheels at this point, although this issue and the one that followed did touch on the impact of Crisis like few other comics did. Sylvia was indeed intended to look like Lois Lane. She was Lois's physical twin from Candor, just as her husband, Van Z, was a dead ringer for Superman. Wasn't that a meatloaf song? <laughs> dead ringer for Superman, dead ringer for... Dead ringer for Superman, dead ringer for... a distant cousin to Kal-El and assumed the role of Nightwing when Superman decided to stop playing Batman and Robin with Jimmy in that big bottle. Like Newton, I'm an ardent defender of Kurt Swan, just asked my pal Rob Kelly, so I can't completely agree that his work looks the same as the 50s. Swan did adapt his work for the changing times, but maybe not as much as some would have preferred. Williamson was actually a very good inker for Swan and he did freshen the look up. I'm glad Swan never caved to swiping the hot look for how bad that can be. Just look at Per Herb Trimpey's 90s output when he was trying to ape the image style. God, yeah, that was awful. Was it? Herb Trimpey was a 70s artist. Yeah, he did. For Hulk, yeah. yeah. And in the 90s he started drawing like Rob Liffield on um, Fantastic <laughs> Four Unlimited, I think. And it right. was appalling. Because it's not like Liffield stuff was good. The Black Mask intro was downright creepy, much bleaker than anything I'd read in a Batman comic at the time. Page with the nightmarish giant raccoon actually frightened me as a kid. I was nine, cut me some slack. Menchie's Batman run was a bit too flowery and engrossed in the never-ending Nocturna Thief of Night Night Stalker storyline for my taste, but he delivered the goods here. I don't think Munch intended for us to empathise with Sionis Black Mask. This was before it was en vogue to make every villain a victim with justification for his actions. I think Munch was juxtaposing Sionis, who manufactured much of his own tragedy, against Bruce, who rose above his, although both hid behind masks. That's just my take. Very valid. Mm-hmm. We went to all that trouble to analyse that issue, and he sums it up best in one paragraph. Mm-hmm. It's just not on, is it? It's I don't good. know why we bother anyone. Anyway. problem with having listeners. Yeah. Some of them are cleverer than we are. Yes, most of them are <laughs> cleverer than we are, let's be brutally honest. This was a great era for Spider-Man, Chris says. It did seem odd that the number of fill-ins that kept coming up, given those solid, consistent track records elsewhere, I have to side with DeFalco and Friends being railroaded here. I had that spectacular issue with Ollie, so this was a nice follow-up. I loved Friends' Ditko-esque take on Peter and Spidey, given I was reading the Ditko stories over in Marvel Tales at the time. Ollie's story is an interesting funhouse mirror version of Peter's own high school days. It was nice to see Ollie find a friend in Jane who stood up for him, something Peter never really got. Again, I'm not a big X-Men guy, so there's no nostalgia for these comics, but I admit I didn't like Paul Smith's art style back then. Now, I really dig it, but kid me thought it was way too simple and unsophisticated. I love his golden age, and that kooky amalgam Iron Lantern issue was a hoot. I do recall hating Magneto's suit, but then several X-Men were going through some really bad wardrobe malfunctions at the time. I couldn't understand how the X-Men could let Magneto be their leader as a kid, but my world was very black and white there. Your synopsis brought to mind the great performances and interactions between Stuart and McKellen and McAvoy and Fassbender. Clearly these movies owe a lot to Clermont. Looking forward to your leap into the post-crisis and post-shooter territory next time. Chris. Well, thank you, Chris. As usual, some excellent thoughts. All of which agree with us, so... <laughs> those are the best. So those are the best, yes. Bob Fish has emailed in, Superman in the 80s. Ah, well, we asked Bob to email in, didn't we? Did we? Yes, we did, so this should be interesting. Hello, young Michael and Andrew the Elder. Hey! <laughs> I said the Elder, dude. Andrew the Better. 
Poggle the lesser. Is that what we're calling it? Yeah, I'm Andrew the better. I don't get older, I get better. Andrew the mature. No. Like, like That does not work in any way. Like, mature what? Like cheese? Why not cheese? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Andrew the cheese. <laughs> Are you trying to say I smell? <laughs> I smell like cheese. Smell like cheese spirit. <laughs> smell like spirit wine. Smell like wine. Is that what you're trying to say? I'm old like wine. Old like a fine wine. Aging, getting better like a fine wine. Is that what you're trying to say? Huh? 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 Oh, actually, that's a compliment. Anyway, moving on. Bob emailed in because we asked him to. I do like it when people listen. <laughs> Bob says, sorry for the length of time it has taken me to send an email to my favourite podcast. Oh, we're his favourite podcast. That's nice. That's actually quite cool. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. F. But when I heard my name mentioned in an episode about a Superman comic, I knew it was time to write. So just to catch up quickly while still staying on the topic of Superman, I want to tell you both how much I enjoyed your six-week coverage of Superman last year. To see the two of you come away from that series with a new appreciation of some of the stories and the artwork of Kurt Swan brought a big grin to this old face. Also, your coverage of Superman issue 149, The Death of Superman, was the absolute best I have ever heard any one cover of that famous issue. Just the best. Well, thank you. Because a lot of people have covered that. So, the fact that you... Unless, you know, we're the only one you've listened to. In which case, we're the best by default. Yeah. Everyone else has covered it. We haven't listened to them. I haven't listened to you two. So, by default, you win. I can live winning like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, not yeah. proud. <laughs> quite frankly. Frankly, quietly. Frank quickly. <laughs> However you want to say it. Now, to your recent coverage of the 80s, Bob says, and Adventures of Superman 424 in particular. You asked me if I was shocked as a monthly reader going from Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow to the new Man of Steel, Burn-based stories. When I became the host of the Superman Forever radio podcast, good plug, Bob, I knew at some point I would have to talk about the Burn reboot. I still haven't totally organised my thoughts on the subject, but will offer a few of them here. Looking back, I think the term in shock would be quite appropriate. In those days, I had a box at the comic shop, and I would only go by and pick up comics every couple of months or so instead of weekly. I had not been back for several months since reading the Whatever Happened story, assuming it was just an Elseworld or DC reviving the imaginary format. I assumed that next month everything would be back to normal. So imagine my shock when several months later, while the owner rang up my comics at the register, he put the complete Man of Steel burn issues on top of my stack and suggested I read them before the rest of my new comics. Holy crap! Who the hell is John Byrne and what has he done to Superman? It took a while for it to actually sink in that this really was the current status quo for the character. Unlike any of the changes that he'd gone through in the past, they were trivial to what they'd done to him with this reboot. In the past, if, for example, when Clark Kent became a TV reporter, they didn't say he'd never been a newspaper reporter. They made the changes gradually, or at least in story. They were built on what had come before. This time it was different. DC said we're starting from scratch. And by the way, all that other stuff was stupid and silly, so we threw it out. You like this more realistic, relevant guy better. Okay, that's a bit snarky. And the word hate is too strong to use now. But at the time, hate was a nice word for how I felt about John Byrne. For the most part, I only liked the artwork of Ardwick, Jurgens, and Grummet. I think the 30-somethings of today who had been reading only the Bird Superman for the past 30 years are feeling what I felt with the new 52 with me and Bird. As you said, Andrew, this was a completely different Superman and Clark Kent than anything that had come before. There were many aspects of this new Superman, especially with the new origin, that I thought then, and even now, went too far and were unnecessary. Many of the changes felt forced and were there for no other reason than to say my way is better. To end on a more positive note, I will say that while I never really got into Byrne's revamping of Superman's origin, and I'm still not a fan of his Superman art, the stories that were eventually told during this time period were solid, and the art done by those mentioned above was spectacular. For me, it was the art of the late 80s that saved the books until the stories of the 90s caught up to the new direction in the artwork. I found that there is something to like in every era of Superman if you take the time to read the material. It doesn't really depend on age either. I agree with Michael when it comes to Grant Morrison, for instance, and I'm old enough to be Michael's grandfather. <coughs> older uncle. So, shocked? Yes, but I got over it in time. I'd actually like some of those late 80s stories now. And in reality, I only threw Man of Steel 1 across the room, not the entire miniseries. Keep doing a great show, guys. It totally blew me away to hear you mention me in a show whilst talking about Superman. Take that, Michael Bailey. Sincerely, <laughs> Bob Fisher. Well, that was uh, 
largely uninterrupted because I felt that uh, Bob's email was worthy of talking about. Because we did ask him to email in. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I know there's a couple of readers. I know Chris Warden got in touch with me on Facebook. Uh, there was a couple of readers who were reading Superman at the time. But I wanted the Chris... I think Chris is roughly the same age as me. Mm. Or maybe a bit younger. But I wanted the opinion of someone like Bob who'd been reading it for years. As Bob points out, he's a few years older than I am. <laughs> Uh, and I wanted the opinion of someone who'd read Superman all from being a kid all the way through that point of what it was like to get the bird revamp at that yeah. point. Was it like the new 52 where suddenly you're reading something and going, what the hell is this? Hmm. Was it not one of the things as well, with the new 52 we knew it was coming from months beforehand because of the internet, whereas back then... Would well, it have been blind or no? You st- there was still there was a lot of publicity around it. Yeah, because I remember it being in all the trade fanzines and stuff. But it wasn't quite like it is now. You, you know, I don't think previews was as ubiquitous. Yeah. So you didn't know three months in advance what was going to happen. Yeah. You knew that with this issue, Superman will have gone away, and it's a revamp. But, like, that's what I wanted. What Bob's emailed in was exactly what I was asking. What was it like for the guy who picked up Superman every single month to suddenly pick up Adventures of Superman 424 yeah. and go, what, what, what? And what's happening? And why? What, what's occurred? And it is interesting as well, we equate it with the burn revamp. He gets blamed and are praised for it completely. Yeah. But... I would like to know what you thought, Bob, of the Mar- what specifically of Adventures of Superman. What did you think of Marv Wolfman's take on it? Mm. Because when we read it, we said, didn't we, this is completely different from what Burns doing. Yeah. Let alone completely different to what it was the month before. Or two months before, because the month before was Alan Moore, wasn't it? Mm. So I'd be interested in hearing what you thought about that. Maybe you just cover that on Superman Forever Radio, if you want. I don't want to take all your material, because <laughs> it's hard work coming up with a material for a Superman show. And Superman Forever Radio is good fun, so you should go and check it out. So there you go, Bob. I've just given you a show idea. <laughs> you can have it totally free of charge because I like you. I won't charge you. How nice of you. That's, I, that's very big of me, isn't it? <laughs> I'm such a nice guy. I'm very affable. Yeah. I'm, 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 everyone thinks I'm affable. <laughs> but don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I don't like you anyway. <laughs> Uh, David Maines emailed in useless answers to questions you probably don't really want answered a rhetorical question a question <laughs> asked with no answer expected is not logical sorry I came over all spot made a bit of a mess of his ears <laughs> Andy and Michael Pop Warner was a legendary American football coach in the early 20th century he helped organise youth football programmes in cities all over the country have leagues that use his name his name is so synonymous with youth football leagues that most people nowadays probably don't know he was a great coach a hundred years ago that's great and thanks David when did we talk about Pop Warner? someone emailed him <laughs> said that Superman in, uh, in Man of Steel right. Clark might have been playing football since he was in Pop Warner okay. and he were like what what the hell's a Pop, Pop Warner, Warner? Yeah, right yeah. okay fair enough thank, well thank you for reminding me <laughs> thank you David for telling us what that was thank you Michael for reminding <laughs> me what the hell we were talking about Pop Warner sounds like a hotel at Disney that doesn't it that does, that does sound like it would be the Pop Warner yeah. Resort. Even that really sounds like something you'd call your dad in the 40s. Yeah, Pop Warner. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Now, what's this for ridiculousness about taking a week off? The idea that you're going to take a week off pisses me off. <laughs> I paid good money for this. Oh, wait, isn't this free? Okay, never mind. In all seriousness, if you guys need time off, I say do it. I and all the rest of your fans will be here waiting for your next in-depth review. <laughs> David, and, uh, fans is in speech marks, and review is in speech marks, which is funny. Yeah. I like that. That was, that was very amusing. Thank you, David. I did laugh at that. Tom Paderice has emailed in. I like Tom. <laughs> yeah, I do. I like uh, Pop Culture Affidavit. That's a great show. Uh, and also so is the Batman one that he does for the Batman universe and uh, the Nam he does the Nam as well yeah okay he's a busy guy mm-hmm. busier than you well doesn't take much Tom Panarisi emailed in saying Bon Jovi really? <laughs> guys of all the great music produced in the 80s you picked Bon freaking Jovi to finish your closing music for the 1987 episode it's 
bad enough that every time I go back home to Long Island to visit my parents, I have to walk around countless people who never let 1987 go. <laughs> but why have you done this to me? Why? 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 God damn it. Look I... what they've done. <laughs> they did it. They actually did it. <laughs> they coughed up a lung. Oh, sigh, Tom. Well... In all seriousness, Tom, it was either that or Whitney Houston. And I wasn't playing Whitney Houston on my show, because I can't stand her. <laughs> no, seriously, the, the the way it worked for the 80s one, because I know people are fascinated yeah, yeah. by how I choose the music that ends the show. Mm-hmm. If I'm being particularly lazy, I just put the theme from Danger Man Every week. Every week. Sometimes I get to the end of a show and I'm like, I just want this done. Oh, yeah. But uh, the the themed years ones, with the 90s one, I just went for, you know, good stuff, I think, for the okay, most part. Okay. Not always good stuff. Good stuff, unless there was better stuff. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, the Dire Straits one, you know, that was just there. Cause the, the 80s one, the Dire Straits one was on there, because what I did was I went on the UK Top 20 Singles of the Year, and I picked a song that, to me, Stood out. summed up the year. It didn't yeah. necessarily have to be a song I liked. Yeah. But when I looked at it I went that that's what I remember oh, from that year you had songs I said oh I like that but then he said nope 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 no because it had to be something that if, I, if you listen to it you go 1986 yeah. instantly anyway I got really excited about including the town called Malice by the jam until I realised that came out in 1983 <laughs> so I was like uh, no 1982 so I was like oh I can't I can't do it so Ooh, I was I was no. a bit miffed about that so so Bon Jovi came about simply because the 1987 song was a Whitney Houston one. Right. And I was like, no. Which Bon Jovi song was it? It was uh, the, the Living on a Pro. Oh, of course it was. Yeah, it was Living on a Pro. Right. We're halfway there. In most people's eyes, the only Bon Jovi song. Living on a prayer, take my hand, we'll make it, I swear. Does Bon Jovi only every time someone sings that, let alone when it's played? I would imagine he does. There you go, Tom, that was for you. That acapella rendition. I quite like Bon Jovi's reactions to that. When people have said to him, do you never get bored of living on a prayer? And he says, yeah, but then I look at the jet with my name on it and suddenly I'm okay with it. (laughs) Fair play, you know. So, yeah, I wasn't playing Whitney Houston. I did cheat. Did you? Yeah, one of them I picked Transvision Vamp. Okay. Simply because I used to quite fancy Wendy James. Okay. So I put Transvision Vamp at the end of the 1989 one. Even though you wouldn't pick that as the song of 1989 by any stretch of the imagination. Right. But uh, Dire Straits was on the... Did I put Money for Nothing on? I think so, because yeah. that, was, that was the song of 85, wasn't it? And the New Order was on the, I think, for 80-something. Okay. New Order was on. Except I cut all the lyrics off. Did you? Yeah, I just made it an instrumental, because <laughs> it was the 12-inch version. Like, this is far too long. <laughs> cut! Cut! There you go, Bernard. I've cut your song <laughs> fire. Don't need to thank me. So that's that's the way Andrew's head works when making the music for the show. Right, okay. Secrets behind the podcasts. For mine, I, I put loads of thought into it. What is similar to the show we've just covered thematically and or in the song title? Right, all the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, say for Zero Year, well, I've just been editing. Mm. For the first part, it was the new single by Angels and Airways. Of course, there had to be an Angels and Airways track in well, there. Gaslight got, Anthem, did they make an appearance actually, anyway? they've not yet. Did they not? I'm shocked and surprised. It's, it's, the song was called Bullets in the Wind, mm. or Bullet, yeah, something like that. And I was thinking, ah, he's been shot at a lot. Bullets in the Of course. <laughs> All right. How do yeah. you make these connections? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then part two. Yes. Okay, I went for Neil Young, Like a Hurricane, because of Hurricane Rene. Right, very good. Yeah. I'm impressed. What are you going to do for part three? No idea. I'm not talking Sorry. about it yet. What did you do for part three? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I've it, yeah. <laughs> it's edited and then gone up now. So the people listening to this know the answer to that question, even though we don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh dear me, time travel's confusing, isn't it? It is. Get Doc Brown in on it. He was Doc Brown, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was, yeah. Yeah. Why did I not think he was? I don't know. Because I'm a fool of a fool, Peregrine Cook. Oh, and he was mentioned earlier on, Mr. Michael Bailey. But he's here. He is. With an email. Mm. He's not actually here. No. Reading it to us. That would have been cool. That would be awesome. I I don't think... It saved me some trouble. I don't think either of us could have paid for him to be here just to read the email, though. 
to be cool though, wouldn't it? Demanzo should spring for that. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe Demanzo refused to, to pay for uh, Rachel Bailey's ticket and so... Ah, so he split off and made his own podcast. Yeah. Just like Lee yeah, did. Yeah. Wow, that's probably... Demanzo probably wouldn't pay for uh, spouses and siblings. Probably not, no. In fact, I'm pretty sure if we wanted Michael to come over and read his email, Demanzo would probably make him come over on a chicken vessel. <laughs> you know, in the hold with all the chickens. yeah. uh, Either that or on a little makeshift raft. Yeah, he'd he'd have to come on a raft (laughs) on his own. But what am I going to use for a sale? (laughs) Comic book pages, don't you? (laughs) The shirt off your back! (laughs) I know, he doesn't talk because he's Italian. Hmm. The shirt, I can't do it in Italian. What's an Italian accent? Eh, Eh, pizza! Stereotypical and somewhat insulted. Yes, and now we've insulted every single Italian listener we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is all of oh no. <laughs> so they can all get insulted because they're in it. Yeah. Which seems fair enough, doesn't it? Hey, gringo! No, that's not Italian, is it? No, that's like Mexican. Yeah, bada bing, bada boom. You guys. That's New York, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. Where are we going with that? Should we read Michael's email? Okay. Okay. Yeah, before we lose any more Italian listeners. Oh, wait a minute, they've all turned (laughs) up. Episode 200, Michael says. Hello, mates. Hello, Michael. Well, here you are at episode 200. First off, let me say congratulations. Getting to episode 200 and maintaining a weekly schedule are both accomplishments to be proud of. Well, we thank you for that, Michael, apart from when we do lazy episodes like that. (laughs) Anyway, when Andy told me about the subject of this episode, I immediately got excited. Burns Superman is what got me into comics, and I co-host a show about that era. But he's not mentioned it! Oh, Michael, views from the long box, dude, plug it! He does it with Jeffrey Taylor, he should have plugged the show! So this episode, continues Michael, above any others you have done, is firmly in my wheelhouse. Plus, it's always good to hear y'all talk about Superman. What follows is my reaction to the episode as I listened to it. So bullet points are in order. As was written on Michael's way to work. In the car. In the car. red lights. (laughs) (laughs) That really does tickle you, lad. The scoring in this episode is beyond amazing. Good choices all, and it will thank you very much. Mostly it was from the Superman Returns score, which is uh, brilliant. I love that score. Better than the movie. uh, Much better than the movie. (laughs) The movie has lots of problems. The music ain't one of them. Michael says, I loved the discussion about Lara representing all of Krypton and sort of wished I'd thought of that when Jeff and I recorded our episode. Superman being born on Earth would be explained later, though you could argue if it was real or not. Action Comics Annual 3 was part of Armageddon 2001, and the story concerned a possible future where Superman runs for President of the United States. Thanks to that pesky constitution, you have to be a natural-born citizen to be President, as in you have to be popped out of your mom's womb, or a birthing matrix, on US soil. Stern wrote that scientists examined Superman's matrix and star drive and determined that he was born in the USA. They never bothered to explain exactly how, so you can argue amongst yourselves about how that worked. The Clark as sports hero talk was amazing, really brought a fresh perspective to that argument. Andy made the point that Clark's parents designing a costume that looks older than the era it was created in, Andy mentions 1986, as being something of a sticking point. It's a good argument, but I would counter with... A. Man of Steel 1 didn't take place in 1986, and they believe they finally settled on it happening seven years before. Still in work for 1979, though. Five year timeline. Five year timeline. <laughs> Number two, Byrne writes that they were inspired by the mystery men of old, so that costume would fit right in the. So, in a way, it does make sense. Uh, Alright, then, you and Gene have worn me down. <laughs> Andy mentions that Byrne's Superman bears a startling resemblance to Christopher Reeve. Yes, he does. Thankfully, Byrne didn't pull out his Superman the movie trading cards and draw a distinct, creepy likeness of Reeve. I'm looking at you, Gary Frank. Am I the only one who likes that? Apparently so. Yeah. No, I think the people on um, Caped Wonder like it as well. What it is, though, it's Jeff Johns. Every single time he writes Superman, he's writing a sequel to the Superman movie. Yeah, because he's he mates even, with Dick Donner, isn't he's he? He's even doing it at the moment with the New 52 run with Jeff Johns. Is it? Oh, yeah. What do you think? It's it's a sequel to Superman the movie. Not Superman 2. If it happened in the New 52 era. Right. So I think Gary Frank working with Jeff Johns on Superman, it's suitable for it to be a a Christopher Reeve-esque Superman. Right. I am still tempted to cover that Johns Romita Jr. run. 
Ah, on the show because I quite like it and you don't I don't at all so what we've got here is a new 52 boot that I quite like yeah and you don't mm-hmm. so that's always quite interesting mm-hmm. it's a pity we've shot our loads it is yeah so there's no point doing <laughs> it point covering it now <laughs> maybe we'll do Superman Unlimited Unchained. or Unchained yeah Unchained Unlimited Unchained whatever <laughs> Superman doesn't come out on time that's what it should be called or Jim Lee, so don't hold your breath. <laughs> Superman doesn't hold his breath. Yes. Uh, Michael continues, maybe Bird had Lois and Perry have breakfast to make up for the fact that Noel Neal wasn't allowed to be in the Kellogg's commercials. Yeah, it's thin, but it kind of makes sense. Yeah, do you know that? What? The cast of the 50s TV show used to advertise Kellogg's cornflakes and such. Right. So they're all sat at the breakfast table, Clark and Jimmy and, and Perry. Yeah. But, no, Lois wasn't allowed to be there. Right. Because that may be improper in okay. the 1950s. But nobody sat and thought, wait a minute, Jimmy's over at Clark's having breakfast? <laughs> they didn't think that through, did they? No. She was, it was improper. Yes, because it, it's suggesting if she's there for breakfast that she spent the night there. But it's all, And they weren't uh, married. But but the implication that Jimmy and Perry might have been in on it like a group of swingers is alright. That's okay as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe there was a whole birthing going on <laughs> with Perry White and uh, Jimmy. Because I'm sure there was a couple that didn't actually have Clark. So they not really thought of that through. Not really, no. Do you know what? They could have just been progressive. Okay. In the 50s. They could have known exactly what they were doing. Yeah. And they were being slightly subversive. In which case, I I doff my metaphorical cap to them. Hmm. I doubt it. (laughs) But, you know. Um... Oh yeah, Michael continues. I cannot agree more that Byrne not only draws the best flying characters, but the best flying Superman. It was always glorious. It was the cape, wasn't it? Yeah. It's all about the cape. You mentioned that Superman turns down eating brie, and yet, and yet, news coverage of this revamp at the time would bang on about how Superman is a yuppie and eats brie. I wish I could say that news coverage of comic book series has improved since 1986, but I can't. (laughs) No, well... People get some wacky ideas in the head and then they refuse, despite all evidence to the contrary, yeah. where you can actually say, this didn't happen, mm. they still stick to it, don't they? Yeah. So they constantly just regurgitate the same useless rumour. And it's any wonder we don't evolve as a species. <laughs> Can't even get stuff like that right. Ever since I learned about it, I've loved the Mike, Carly, Mark Gruenwald characters in the third issue. Oh, was that known? I thought we'd spotted something unique, though. All right. Slightly bummed now. (laughs) Well, I have sat on this one enough, so it's time to pull the Frozen and let it go. Let it go. Something about the snow. All right, you know the words better than I do. Anya. Yeah, that's what. Is that what it is? (laughs) You've not got that soundtrack on your iPod. Nope. (laughs) Don't. I do not believe you. More to follow about subsequent issues. Cheers, Mikey, Mike, B, and that. Empties the sack. Does it? Yeah. That empties the email sack. Well, there's a couple in there that we've not touched upon. Ah, okay. But uh, it's long enough. I've got a sore throat. <laughs> I'm dying. Man flu. Should I read some? Virulent man flu. Ugh. Ugh. Was that good? Did you like that? Yeah. What do you think of my death scene? Some grand acting. I'm not a drama critic. Next time on our all new episode of Hey Kids Comics, we won't be lazy bastards. No, we won't. No, we'll have actually. Or at least I won't. No, we will have actually written a proper. I'm busy doing the <laughs> kitchen. Uh, yeah, next time. That's the Christmas episode, isn't it? It is. Michael's going to pick something. Mm-hmm. I've already read it. Yeah. And I'm going to pick something, but Michael's going to edit it. <laughs> so I get a bit of Christmas off. Well, I say Christmas, it's recording well in advance, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. We have to pretend we're in the Christmas spirit next it's, week. It's Dece- December, so... Yeah, so we, should we wear funny Christmas hats? And jumpers. And jumpers. Bad jumpers. The Bad H. Christmas jumpers. Yeah. The H, yeah. Like Noel Edmonds or Giles Brandreth. You could be Giles Brandreth. Okay. I'll be Noel Edmonds. Blobby, blobby, blobby! <laughs> Again, only UK listeners are going to get that. Welcome to Noel's house party. Here's a warm <laughs> hand upon your entrance. Uh, breaking news, Noel Edmondson has held all of his guests at hostage. <laughs> Breaking news, he now does that, that game with the boxes that no one understands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's that called? Give me a deal or deal something. Or no deal, deal or no deal, that's it. Next yeah. on Brass Eye. He doesn't watch, uh, he doesn't wear bad jumpers on Deal or No Deal, does he? It, it's just all bad. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> none of it. And Blobby's not on it. <laughs> Blobby, Blobby, Blobby. 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 Blobby, Blobby.
do a show that has not blobby on it. That was his claim to fame, wasn't it? Blobby, 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 knee blobble, blobble, knee wobble, blobble, 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 blobble. Go away, you pink and yellow buffoon! No, that is not a box. <laughs> Actually, having blobby on deal or no deal would make it worth watching, I think. <laughs> anyway, I think that's enough silliness for one night. We'll be back next week with a proper episode, and it's Christmas. Yes. To quote Slade. Oh, I wish it could be Christmas every day. It's Christmas! As Noddy Holder said. Okay. He said it better than me, because, you know, not very well. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, and no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us, as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream, as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics.